Hebrews chapter 9. Whoa, that's hot. Hebrews 9. Try again. There we go. Hebrews chapter 9, and we are on verse 25. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. This is a continuation of this discussion of the contrast between the priesthood in the Old Testament and Jesus as the high priest. And as we read in several of these verses, Jesus entered once for all. They had to enter year by year. Jesus' sacrifice was not for his own sins because he had none. He was sinless. But the high priest in the Old Testament had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. So therefore, we see a number of ways in which Jesus' sacrifice is superior and it takes away sins. So, that is the context. And of course, also the other contrast was that Jesus entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God in heaven, which is a greater thing than the high priest entering into the tabernacle. All right? Okay, now, let's see, where should we start? Keith, you're right here. Could you look up Exodus 30 and verse 10? Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Okay, that's that's the reference to the Old Testament day of atonement that happened annually. Here is something from William Lane. Thus the typological fulfillment of the Levitical high priests annual sprinkling of blood in the most holy place was Christ's death on the cross, or on Calvary. The contrast between the Levitical high priest and the heavenly high priest is displayed in the sequence of the action as well as its frequency. So, the frequency issue was year by year by year, whereas Christ died once for all. It's a phrase that's very important. Once for all. Because... That means people cannot be have their sins atoned for by religious works of their own, but they can only trust on the finished work of Christ, which was done once for all. And um, in contrast to any other kind of system of works, yeah, including the Mass, which is a reenactment of the sacrifice of Christ over and over again. Did anybody read the paper this morning? Besides me. Did you see that thing in there that they're doing now? Oh, that one was terrible. If you want to get mad, get a Sunday paper and read Bill Moyer's editorial. He was trashing Christianity. And just absolutely, basically, if you believe in this left behind scenario or end times, that you're going to destroy the environment and you're dangerous and you're wacko. and That was Bill Moyer. There was another one, though, about their, the Catholics are, are reinstituting a practice from the Middle Ages where they, where they sit 
up all night watching the wafer. Okay, it's in the day star and trip. What are they watching for? They're watching the body of Christ. They believe that that's actually literally the body of Christ, and they're sitting there watching it all night long. What are they waiting for? To resurrect him? No, it's just a it's just sort of a watch thing, and there is. But the reason I found it significant is there seems to be a trend that anything mystical is getting resurrected. Anything out of the Middle Ages, this contemplative prayer, the um, the Kabbalah is coming back in the Jewish circles. And any kind of a mystical practice that somebody can dredge up, they're bringing it back in and it's popular. So some, for some reason, people are attracted to mysticism in this age. Now, I, I believe that it's because of end-time delusion. It's a setup. Do you think, Bob, that that will lead to uh, actual sacrifices? I don't know. I don't know. Anyhow, I emailed Jan this morning and said, you better, I know she hates the star and she won't pay a penny for it. But I said, Jan, you might want to buy one just to get some good heresy for your research. <laughs> I told her to get Bill Moyer's one and then the one on this thing where they sit. And in small towns in Minnesota, they open the Catholic Church and they sit there all night looking at the wafer. Watts. Yeah, he was quoting his Watts. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, that was it. So, I'm not recommending the Star and Trib as far as believing what it says, but it's a good research document for heresy. Harkin didn't touch on any of that, did he? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. It's saved Rita's section. It's just that front page will get you in trouble. That's a different idea. All right. Let's go to verse 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Interesting terminology. Had Jesus' sacrifice not been sufficient and efficacious, then it would be like the priesthood in the Old Testament would have to continually do it because you'd have sins and you'd have to have a sacrifice, you'd have sins, you'd have a sacrifice. And however, now he is once at the consummation of the ages been manifested to put away sins. Now the, the word put away in the Greek is a legal metaphor and his meaning is annul. To annul. It's a legal term. So, he was manifested to annul sins, to make them null and void. Now, why is that important? Well, because our sins separate us from God. And it would be impossible to ever go into the presence of God as sinners. Because God's a holy God. So, his sacrifice annulled, put away sins. Okay, um... Well, one sacrifice for sins for all time. Yeah, he is the one, but the once for all signifying the lack of the need of repetition. It's a finished work. I think human religion obviously doesn't like this because you always want some processing string people along. This, this takes away the power of abusive religious leaders 
if you know for a fact that your sins are taken away by the once for all blood of Jesus, then there's nothing for anybody to sell you. And there's, there's no process that they can create that you gotta jump through their hoops in order to be right with God. It's just done. Yes, Mike. Right. And what it has accomplished. And I think when we all get to eternity, we'll see that power was far surpassing anything we imagine. Amen. I was, I'm writing an article on the seven churches in Revelation. And I noticed this term overcomers is used again and again. He that overcomes, and then there's promises attached. It's repeated to these churches. But the real definitive verse on overcoming is the one where it says they overcame him, that is the accuser of the brethren, by uh, the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So ultimately, this overcoming is through the sacrifice of Christ, the blood atonement. And that's what makes people overcomers, not their own virtues or their own hard work or whatever. So the act of faith that you're saying is the consummate part that we actually believe in the cross. When we believe in it, then we change. Until we believe in it, we don't change. And to the extent that we believe in it, we change more and more. Because it's the act of believing that it's efficacious that is the power that we change and our lives change. And having a small faith in the cross means your life doesn't change very much. Well, in your faith journey, first you have to Well, I've got a bunch of cross-references here. So, um, Dean, Daniel 9.24. Brian, Micah 4.1. Tammy, John 1.29. Cindy, John 17.24. Steve, 1 Corinthians 10.11. That's right, Cladoras. Uh... Titus 2.14, Norm, 1 Peter 2.24, Leif, 1 Peter 3.18, and Tyler, 1 John 3.5, because we have a lot of these, don't we? And Noel, Revelation 13.8. I promise you they're all good. 9.24, Daniel 9.24. Seventy weeks are determined 
upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of the sins and, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision of prophecy and to atone and to anoint the most holy. Okay. You can't get any power up there. You can't get the amp on. It trips it when you turn it on? It went boom, and we turned all the breakers off and turned them all back on. It went boom again, and we still can't get anything. can't get any juice. The amp is going boom? That's also going boom. It's hard to tell when we're back in the hall. Okay. Um, read your verses. <laughs> Just kind of go in order. <laughs> Micah 4.1 But in the latter days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. John 1.29 The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 17.24 You have to relate louder if it's going to be on here. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. First Peter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. First Peter 3.18 Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 John 3, 5. Um, but we know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Revelation 13, 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from Foundation of the world in the book of life of the man who has been slain. Read some more verses. <laughs> Hebrews nine twenty seven, and inasmuch as it is appointed for man once to die, after this comes judgment. Uh Genesis, who's next? Genesis 3.19 Job 19.25 Job 19.25 This other one, we'll just kind of, uh, it's cryptic. Uh, Ecclesiastes 
Yeah. And it's Ecclesiastes 3.20. Did you come over this way? I guess, uh, Kathy. Yeah, Kathy. Ecclesiastes 3.20. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12.14. Lois? Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, John 5, 26 and 29. Good, thank you. You have to read this verse here because I missed it. Okay. Did you read all the verses? Were they good? (laughs) Good, I'm glad you liked them. Problem solved up there. Um... Did you talk about the Revelation 13.8 from that foundation of the world? That's the same phrase you hear, the foundation of the world. And the idea is that this whole plan of salvation in Christ is an eternal plan. It's God's eternal purpose. And so, before the foundation of the world simply is a biblical way of saying before the creation in eternity. Um, I used that Revelation 13.8 in that article I wrote to debate Greg Boyd's open theist position because he claims that God, for example, in Genesis 6 where it said, not that, uh, I regret or I repent that I made man. Okay, He says, well, we've got to take that literally, meaning God didn't know man was going to be sinful. And in order to uh, refute that, what I consider heresy, pointed out that it says the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8 is ambiguous in the Greek. It either means the names were in the book before the foundation of the world or the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, but either way, it doesn't matter how you take it. It proves that there was a, that God knew that there would be sin, that God knew there needed to be salvation, and that he already had an eternal plan which included Christ dying for sins, from all eternity. So therefore, the claim that God didn't know is proven false because this uh, this passage, Revelation 13, 8, right? Was there ever any discussion regarding the previous verse when it talks about the consummation of the ages? Yes, the consummation of the ages. Thanks for reminding me because I wanted to discuss that. So a very interesting phrase. The consummation of the ages, once at the consummation of the ages, here it's talking about the first advent, because that's when Christ died. But from the point of view of the Old Testament prophecy, the consummation of the ages would be Messiah. Whenever Messiah comes and brings in the kingdom, it deals with sins, that will be the consummation of the ages. That's what they're looking forward to. Now, Dean read the Daniel 70 weeks prophecy. Now, it turns out that the consummation of the ages ends up to be a process, not just a moment. Okay, because we have the first advent, Christ's death, burial, resurrection. We have the entire time of the Gentiles that the Daniel prophecy doesn't cover. It gets 69 weeks, brings Messiah in to Jerusalem. The 70th week is when Antichrist sets up his abomination of desolation. In between the 69th week and the 70th week is the time of the Gentiles, that we're in now, all right? And so it turns out that there's a process and that there's two advents. Now, the people that disagree with me who are the preterists or amillennialists will say, well, you're making this too complex. It should be very, very simple. 
But if you look at it from the point of view of the Old Testament prophets, it's already more complex than what they would have thought, even though it's all in their prophecies. Because they believe Messiah was going to come. He's going to judge the Goyim. He was going to purge Israel of wickedness. He's going to set up the kingdom and that God would have his man on the throne of David. All right, that's what all, that's all in there. Then plus you got Isaiah 53 about the taking away sins, which they didn't quite understand. Now, how do, what happened? Even if you're a preterist or, well, a full preterist, that's so heretical, but there's partial preterists. Um, I think Jan was talking about that on her show yesterday. Um, whatever you believe, you have to admit it was more complex than they probably thought. They didn't realize there was going to be two advents. They thought there was only going to be one. But there's two. So even a, a millennial should admit that it was more complex than you might have thought. Well, so there's complexities. It's still viewed as one event at the consummation of the ages, even if it's drawn out over a couple thousand, several thousand years. So we are in the consummation of the ages right now, but there's still more to come. It's a complex event viewed as one thing, the consummation of the ages. All right? Um, then it says, oh, look at this passage, verse 27. Very, most people have heard this verse, a very important doctrine here. Inasmuch as it was appointed unto man once to die, or to die once, and after this comes judgment. Why is that doctrine? Why is that an important verse? There's no purgatory, right? No reincarnation. No second chance. Certain people that were documented as coming back from the dead. In Matthew 25, you mean? Lazarus, or I mean, so I mean, maybe they were just kind of a practice death. I don't know, but they, I mean, they had a. There's a few people that were raised from the dead. Elijah raised, Elijah raised, raised two, or Elijah raised one. Okay, but that's different from reincarnation. Well, that's not reincarnation. It's just once to die, but just kind of an acceptance. Yeah, that's true. They died twice. <laughs> There's no record. Yeah, they see here's for one thing, those resurrections that we're talking about, like Lazarus, they were just resurrected back into mortal bodies and still died. The body still decayed. Yeah, they eventually died. Um uh, well I would I don't know how to account for that other than God raised a few people to show his power, but it didn't mean that they aren't sinners who die. Yeah, they didn't have resurrection bodies. That's the point I would make you, Tyler. It just says it's like if someone goes and they're at the bottom of a lake and they've been, they've, they're nearly suffocated, nearly dead, and then they're resuscitated, they haven't really died because they're not dead. They're still alive. When, when you bring them back, yeah. they haven't really died. Just like if you're electrocuted, you're dead. You're, you can't get electrocuted and you don't get alive afterwards. But in the case of Lazarus, though, he was in the grave for three days, also. He'd be... But it wasn't like the final... I don't know. Well, it... I think that the basic point here is still very clear, and that is, as a matter of fact, this is a commonly held truth. This, is, this statement is basically a truism, as far as the Jews are concerned, that you're going to die and you're going to face God in judgment, ultimately. And after that death, remember that other, the parable about the guy who wanted to come back to the dead to warm his brothers? He says, they had Moses and the prophet, and they won't listen to them. Neither will they listen if a man comes back from the dead. He tells that the guy, 
Lazarus. Yeah. Foreshadowing because Lazarus did come back from the dead, and they sure enough didn't listen. They didn't listen either. <laughs> exactly. In fact, Lazarus, according to how still out here, and according to how the Gospel of John progresses in his narrative, Lazarus becomes part of the reason for the crucifixion. Lazarus' resurrection in John leads to this triumphal entry and the people, the jealousy of the leaders that want to kill Jesus. And uh, it shows the hard-heartedness of these leaders because Lazarus was there among them and they didn't like it. it made them mad because then Jesus was too popular. All right, let's get back to the basic truth. Pointed of men wants to die. After this comes judgment. So we know there's no reincarnation. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo. What about... Um, I think the other implication would be this. We need to repent and believe the gospel now. We can't just wait around. We can't think, well, you know, maybe I'll just live for the devil all my life and then I get really old, I'll become a Christian after I had all my fun. What do you think of that idea? <laughs> you better hope you don't you better hope you don't get run over by a train when you're forty. <laughs> Yeah. It's a kind of what they're saying. The judgment is the second death. So you don't once you're judged, you don't get another chance because the second death would be very, very strong. Yeah, we're going to read about that. Let, let's look. At, I got a whole bunch of verses here. Maybe this will help us. Those were assigned. Oh, you did them. No, they were assigned. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and start. Genesis three nineteen. Okay, so that was the pronouncement upon Adam uh, because of, of the sin of rebellion to return to dust. In other words, he would die if his body is mortal. Job 19.25 And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, what does your guy say about that one? Childs. Klein? Klein, I mean, yeah, Klein. That's the only passage that's ever quoted from Job. There's one Job, of all Job, that's the only one that's quoted in the New Testament. Yeah, wow. Okay, Psalm 89.48. Okay. Well, is it, is it, is oh, okay. Well, Lois, Lois, do you have one assigned? Tim. Okay, Tom, Tim, you have Psalm 89. Four. You, you couldn't read my writing. Oh, Kathy, which one do you have? Ecclesiastes 3.20. All are from the dust, all return to the dust. Certain. Alright, death is a certain thing. Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God shall bring every work into judgment, and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. 
All right, so ultimately there's judgment to be faced. And every secret thing will be brought out. Nothing's hidden from God. That's true. Isn't that a scary thought? Do you see why you need a blood atonement? You can fool man, but you can't fool God. All right, uh, and then did you have one, Mike? No, I didn't have one. Okay, and then Tim, did you look up the Psalm one? Yeah, but you didn't tell me what verse. Eighty-nine forty-eight. What man can live and not see death, or save himself from the power of the grave? Okay, uh, Mike. Uh, didn't, didn't the rest weren't assigned? Uh, okay, Mike. John five twenty-six to twenty-nine, and uh, Mary, Acts seventeen thirty-one. Sam, Romans 2.5, Peter, 1 Corinthians 4.5, Alicia, you got a Bible there? Alright, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and one more, let's go back to Bert, Revelation 20, 11 and 12, Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Okay, uh, Mike, when you got John 5.26-29. Son to have life in himself. And 29. Do you want me to read all the way through? 26, 27, 28. Yeah, all of them. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. There we go. Universal resurrection from the dead. Either unto reward or judgment. Okay, and then we had the Psalm passage, 8948. Oh, you did that. Okay, then the next one was um, uh, Acts 1731. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. There you go. That's what Paul preached to the Athenian philosophers. There's a set day. There's a fixed day on which God will bring judgment. And the key issue is the proof that was issued to all humans through the resurrection of Christ. And a failure to believe on Him will mean judgment. That's what Paul preached. Of course, they didn't like his message in Athens, but that's what he told them anyhow. What do you do if you preach the gospel and people don't like it? They got it. Good. Well trained here. Preach it anyhow. <laughs> Yeah, well, that goes back. Yeah, the sign of Jonah, and the same thing that um, we were talking earlier about Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man says, "Let me come back from the dead, and I'll tell my brothers so they'll repent." And they said, "They have Moses and the prophets. They won't believe them. They won't believe if a man's raised from the dead." And what happened was Jesus was raised from the dead, and they didn't believe. Lazarus was raised first. They didn't believe him, and Jesus was raised. Yeah, they just got mad because Lazarus was raised. Amen. Which is the gospel. Amen. And that's all that they're going to get. If they don't believe the gospel, that's it. Exactly. And see, that's what disproves the whole theory of Robert Schuller and his many, many, many followers. 
Because Schuler, if they interview him, they say, well, why are you doing it like this? Why don't you have Bible preachers? And why don't you do... He says, I'm the last stop for everybody who's given up on religion, who would never go into a church. They can come here and feel comfortable. And so I'm sort of this last... It's like, But <clears throat> last stop for what? On the way to hell. It's, he's, not, he's not giving them anything once they get there to do them any good. Because the gospel's not being preached. I mean, every once in a while, it does get sneak in there if he's not careful. <laughs> exactly, because, um, you know, he, he may happen to have somebody in there who's evangelical who open their mouth and tell, tell the gospel, but it's not because of Schuler. All right, uh, okay, so we saw the Acts 17.31, that God has furnished proof to all men. So what should we be preaching? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection should be preached every time the gospel goes out. People need to know this because otherwise they're not be given, they're given the proof that God's offered to all men. Okay, Romans 2 and verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are stored up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath Okay, so the stubborn and unrepentant are storing up wrath. Now, the word for storing up there in the Greek is, is a, the same word would be used to put into a bank at interest. So the, so the wrath is being put away and gaining interest. That's not, that's not a way you, you... I wouldn't suggest that savings plan. <laughs> Better to repent. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. All right, that's interesting. It says, don't go on passing judgment before the time. God's, the time of judgment, God will bring to light hidden things in the, in the motives of the heart. What is that telling us? We don't know somebody else's motives. There are certain things we can judge or discern. We can judge whether the teaching is biblical. We can judge by fruit. But we can't judge motives because that's unseen to us. All right? And so when it comes to motives... We have to wait till God comes and reveals everything because we can't know that. Uh, somebody could be preaching the gospel. Paul talked about people preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, but he rejoiced that the gospel is preached. So we need to have objective criteria for judgment because ultimately the motives are for God to deal with. All right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Alicia. Okay, that's the judgment seat of Christ. That would be where Christians end up. So there's judgment for Christians as well, not condemnation, but judgment as to what, you know, rewards for deeds done in the body. And the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Did I sign that? Yeah, Bert. For whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, 
the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. According to their deeds. Okay. On the verse uh, 14, just one, two, Go ahead. He goes, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's the second death, right. So it's, it's a point for a man wants to die with his, with his regular body, and then a second death. The question right. I had was, we're, we're looking forward to a glorified body, and all the people, all Christians that are resurrected will be resurrected with the body like Christ, the glorified body. Yes. Well, when all the dead are, you hear his voice, and all the dead are raised to come unto judgment, do the people he's thrown into the lake of fire, do they have a glorified body, or what do they have? They have a resurrected body. I don't know if you would call it glorified if it's going to end up in hell. That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have, how many details we have. The first from Brett Madden. Or are they just spirits? Because Satan doesn't have a physical body. He's teased in there too. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, very good question. I'm going to repeat it in case somebody's listening on the internet. The question is, where are people going now when they die, especially an unbeliever? If they go to hell now, then is that a separate thing from the lake of fire? Because that doesn't happen until later. All right, very good question. The answer is that in the Greek, there are two different words that are translated hell in the New Testament. There's Hades and there's Gehenna. And as I understand it, Gehenna is this lake of fire. All right. And the first two people that go into Gehenna are the beast and the false prophet. Right? That's in. They're thrown in alive with the real bodies. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. And the beast was seized with him, the false prophets, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burned the brim. So they had a real body. Yeah. So maybe you get resurrected if you don't get a glorified body. You get stuck Resi- in the old one and heaped into the lake of fire. <laughs> well, nevertheless, that I believe the lake of fire is Gehenna. The first two people to go there is, are these two, the beast and the false prophet. Then after this great white throne judgment, all of those whose names are not in the book of life are assigned their place there. Um, so to answer your question, where um, where people go now when they die, if they're lost, they go to Hades, which is in, also described as not a good place. All right, it's that's where the rich man was. Yeah, that's where the rich man was, and he said he was tormented there in Hades. The believer, it says, the, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the believer who dies goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. But there's a time between whenever that happens and the ultimate resurrection when they get their glorified body. The spirits or something. Yeah, that's the only way I can understand it. Because it says the dead in Christ will be raised first. And uh, we shall all be changed whether we're alive or we're raised. 
So they must uh, be awaiting that body that will come at the resurrection. This interesting side note here is that's, that's orthodox theology, but there's a, a pastor I know that you're aware of out in California that believes when you die, you get your body immediately. Oh yeah. <laughs> the meat locker theory. <laughs> well, there isn't anything in theology that somebody doesn't come up with a different twist to. Well, there's the full preterist. Have you? Um, a full preterist doesn't believe in a future resurrection, which was what makes that version that heretical. They believe that for for just in the perpetuity, people die and go to be with the Lord. That's all there is. There's no future resurrection. That's full preterism. Now, the popular preterists, like R.C. Sproul and Hank Hanegraaff, people like that, are partial preterists. They believe there is a future resurrection. It's really a heresy to say there's no future resurrection because Paul said it was. What happened to those guys that got raised when Jesus got raised? That's one of the more cryptic things in the, in the Bible. I don't know. It, it says that they were raised, but we don't know what happened to them. And we don't know if they had glorified bodies and they were the first fruits, or whether they just were raised like Lazarus in mortal bodies and they died again. I think it's one of those things we'll have to ask the Lord when we get there. All right, so we are... These verses are very, very important, and I'm glad we were able to discuss them here at Sunday School because you have to have this when you're running into... False doctrine and cults. Yes, Kathy. Uh, I don't know how this fits in, but the script has been coming to mind, and that is, we don't fight against flesh and blood, blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. That's uh, found in Ephesians. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we have another passage, I think, here. To Anybody have any more questions about appointed ones to die? What about the word appointed? Maybe we haven't discussed that part. We talked about the wants to die in the judgment. Appointed, does that mean that sometime or another we have an appointment and we just don't know what it is? So if that if that's the case, is it all right if I eat all kinds of pork? You can help you appoint it. <laughs> just kidding. Just see if i got to raise anybody. I eat bacon and eggs all I want because I'm a, there's appointed time. going to get there anyhow. <laughs> okay, God foreknew you were going to eat bacon and eggs every morning, so he made you an earlier appointment. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> well, my uh, 100 calorie yogurt I have, I guess, won't maybe delay my appointment here. Hebrews 9.20. Nothing delayed your appointment. Oh well, God. Yeah, but God foreknew that I was going to eat yogurt. <laughs> All right. Um, it is an interesting. Uh, it is it actually. There's a serious discussion in that, in the sense that concerning what we don't know is in God's hands. Concerning what we do, we're responsible for. So I'd say we're responsible to live as healthy as you know as reasonable so that we might be vigorous and be able to preach the gospel for as many years as we possibly can, as far as the unknown things that's in God's hands. We can't just say, well, it's become fatalistic, it's appointed, so I might as well just forget about it. Uh, if the doctor says, go down and work out, then you go down and work out. 
Hebrews 9.28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. Wow. So much for the preterists. They're not awaiting Christ. I think it's already happened. Okay. Christ also, having been offered once, again, there's the idea of once, to bear the sins of many, the many is an allusion to Isaiah 53.12, an allusion that comes up many times, several times in the New Testament anyhow. Romans 5 talks about the many. So he bore the sin of the many. Who are the many? Whoever is actually saved. So the reason it says the many is to guard against universalism. For people, There are people who think, well, because Christ died... Therefore, everybody's automatically saved. That's not true. The many would be believers. Isn't there a verse somewhere that says that's wrong? Um, yeah, I think I think we just had that as a cross reference. Well, isn't that one Peter three eighteen? Christ died for all that they who lived should no longer live for themselves. No, that's in Second Corinthians five. What happens when you get old? Nobody can remember. 2 Corinthians 5.15. Try that one out. Who wants to do 2 Corinthians 5? The first one who finds it, read it out. He died for all, but they who live no longer live for themselves, but him who died in order to take another reason. Yeah, but it says, yeah, he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Okay? Right, exactly. Right. I mean, we've talked about it many different times, and there's different ways of explaining it. But Christ, what's the simplest way? Christ's atonement is sufficient for all, efficient for the redeemed. Yes. The other way it says, Christ died for all without distinction, but not all without exception. Right. So, he died for all types of men. He died for Yeah. There's no group or whatever that he didn't die for. Right. Yeah, factually. Yeah. I mean, because you end up talking about potentialities and it gets very complex theologically, but we all end up believing, if we're orthodox, that only those who actually believe have their sins atoned for. The rest, whatever you might say about Christ's relationship to them, it, it didn't atone for their sins if they end up in hell. Yes? Well, that's one version of it. Now, that's our old discussion. I can't tell you how many times we've had this discussion in Sunday school. That's exactly how Arminians believe. Arminians believe that the elect are determined by the choices of man, whereas Reformed theology says the elect are determined by God. And that is about a three... Well, how long does that debate go on? It's gone on since about... What was the date of Jacob Arminius? 17, no, 16, 16, 1680. From, from 1514 or wherever, from Luther's time until for like almost 200 years, everybody believed 
the Augustinian version, which God determines who the elect are. Starting in a couple hundred years later, that Protestantism went two different directions. One group says what you just said, that God intends to save all, but he's not able to without the cooperation of man. Whereas Luther and Calvin and uh, Zwingli and just basically all the other reformers said God saves who he intends to save. Now, and that was the debate at the Reformation, and it gets very complicated, and we've talked about it here. You're, thanks for coming to Sunday School, by the way, you're new to this, or you would have heard the discussion many different times. It, it boils down to a monergism versus synergism, uh, and all kinds of things. But what we would say, bottom line is this, the many are the actual redeemed, whether they're viewed that way because of their actions, or they're viewed that way because of God's action, the many are the redeemed. In, in this passage, all right, the, the and the potentiality. If we say Christ died for all, I, I read this book on predestination that said that Christ's death is sufficient for all, but efficient for the elect. All right, so I don't, I wouldn't want to limit the sufficiency of Christ's death. It's absolutely efficient sufficient for every sin that ever been committed by anybody. All right? But it won't actually keep anybody out of hell unless they repent and believe the gospel. Can we all agree on that? Amen. We're all agreed on that. That's where we always end up. We all agree on that. Some people here believe that man's free will determines the elect. Some people believe in God's sovereign decree from all eternity. Uh, most most of us... Yeah, whatever the case if you end up if you end up in heaven, you're definitely one of the elect. I totally agree with that. Well, I believe that that passage says that God wishes that none would perish is true. And as I pointed out when I debated, remember when I debated Greg Boyd at that first Baptist event, and he brought up he's trying to paint me into this hyper Calvinist corner, and I came prepared because I knew John three sixteen would come, so I had it sitting there. Come on, Greg, bring up John 3.16. And he finally did. And what I pulled out was a quotation from John Calvin. And John Calvin's commentary on John 3.16, he says, this means that God loves every individual without exception. All right? And that's what Calvin said. So I said, amen to that. God loves every individual without exception. And whoever believes will not perish. I totally believe that literally. And, he, and, and poor Greg was ready to harpooned me and I diffused it. <laughs> I'm not saying poor Greg literally. I don't feel too sorry. I don't feel too sorry for him. <laughs> Stinker. Uh, they're having one that was canceled. He came out he came out in favor of abortion. Greg Boy. Well the first three months Okay, well, he's going to debate it so you can hear it from the horse's mouth. There's a special Faith Builders event at North Heights Lutheran Church sponsored by KKMS. Janet Parshall is going to be there. See, I'm getting paid for this, you know. No. Uh, uh, Janet Parshall, uh, they're having a forum and they're going to discuss Christian ethics, right? The issue is, to put it in a context, is do Christians, it's what the civil government role and what's Christian's role. Okay. Does a Christian have a right under a civil government to oppose abortion 
or whatever you, sin you what have. Whatever other issue. Whatever sin you have. And it's a separation between the civil government and Christianity. Okay. okay. And so Greg would be arguing a strong separation. That civil government is ungodly to begin with, and it's not expected to be godly, and it just right. happens. All right. Well, that's I, in that regard, that's a legitimate discussion. Right? He's not pro-abortion. All right. We'll find out. Yes. He's not pro-abortion, but he does compromise. That's the problem. That's Greg Boy's whole problem. He's compromised. He said that. He said that if it was up to him, if there was, I mean, he's not going to judge anybody if somebody has an abortion within a certain period of time, the first trimester, in there. He's not going to judge against that because of or against it. But in his heart, he says he's not opposed to abortion. So therefore, the compromise. So, I wouldn't. I don't think I have the right to stone people that commit abortions to go to doctors because God didn't give me the sword to go uh, do that. Do I believe it's wrong? I believe it's wrong. I believe a lot of stuff is wrong. I don't go whack everybody who's doing wrong stuff because He didn't make me a messiah. No, but we can. I think that we're we're right to voice our concerns about what we, given the fact that we have free speech and we have the right of appeal. Paul used the right of appeal. Remember in Rome. And we can we can try to influence things. Yes. It got canceled. It got canceled and it's rescheduled. When is it? Does anybody know? Twenty fifth. It's rescheduled, and I think it's going to be an interesting event. I really do. Um, I appreciate the one one other thing about KKMS, and uh, and I I was on there on Joyce's show Friday, Joyce Harley's show. One thing I appreciate about them is that they do allow debate over the air, and they allow controversial issues. You're not going to hear that on KTIS. You're just going to hear this nice, little, nice, sweet Christian stuff. You know, and I don't know how you learn anything if you can't have a debate. You think a lot of your audience didn't figure out who the author is? If you listen Friday, you may have noticed we're talking about Greg Boyd, but not by name. Until they change the policy, right now they have a policy that you can't criticize on the air another one of their... In other words, I, you couldn't go on the air and start slashing and burning R.C. Sproul because he's one of their sponsors. He's on there. He's on there. Now, Jan, now Jan Markell has been trying to get that changed because she, she wants to talk about preterism and Hank Hanegraaff, and which she's done. We've done it a few times. And I was on Joyce Harley's show, and we decided ahead of time, because she's on right after Greg Boyd, that we'll just sort of... I think most of the local people know who we were talking about anyhow. Did she? Yeah. Well, good for her. She named them yesterday. Well, she said R.C. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You can do it positively. Yeah. See, R.C. Sproul's really good preterist. It's just that he's a heretic. No. <laughs> yeah. That, anyhow, we'll see how it goes. If you haven't done it, I think today you can still do the listener survey. They have a listener survey where you can click on the, on KKMS on their website. Yeah, I did. I would suggest everybody go on there, click on the thing, answer the thing, and say, here's what I said, Greg Boyd is too heretical for KKMS. You did that too? All right. Maybe if they get a hundred of those, they'll drop him off of there. Raise his rates. <laughs> if you want to preach heresy, they'll cost you more. <laughs> All right. Well... The, the many are those who are actually are saved. That's what we were saying. I'll, let's do these cross-references next week, and then we'll go into chapter 10. 
Hebrews 10 is going to be very interesting. I don't know how many months it will take us to get through it. But wow, is there some stuff in there. There's a warning about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a encouragement. There's a lot of good stuff in Hebrews 10. So we'll read these cross-references next week.